All right, we're live. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the late morning program with Namras. This is episode 42, Returning to Bhakti, with my friend Hari Kirtan. How's it going, Hari Kirtan Prabhu? Nice to see you. Hari Bom. I'm doing well. I'm in Puri right now, uh, getting a little bit of sun Very at nice. the beach. Very nice. So, so um, the reason this episode came about was... Um, so I put a Facebook post out uh, a little while ago, and I said maybe I should I should try to uh, interview someone who left Krishna consciousness like altogether. And so people were talking, and your name came up. And uh, yeah. but but your story is 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 really interesting because um, you left, but then you also returned. But you're also Gurukuli, like you were born. Your parents are Prabhupada disciples, so that's a really interesting. Uh, dynamic and and so I think it's a great story that we can uh, share with everyone. Uh, so let's just get into it. And um, what was your childhood like? Let's start there. Well, like every guru Kuli, I would say um, the childhood is probably the most complex issue, right? The complex, most complex topic. Right. Um, so I was I was born into a Prabhupada disciple family in Germany. Mm -hmm. during the Hansa Dutta era. Um, and um, pretty much my parents were, were in Hansa Dutta zone moving around. So um, between the ages of one till five, I was growing up in Singapore, uh, India, Sri Lanka, Philippines. Hansa Dutta was, was in charge of some of those places. Right. And um, just be before I was turning five years old, we were living in Singapore. Uh, at that time, and um, my father was printing uh, Bhagavatams in Singapore. At that time, the printing industry was in Singapore. Right, right. So we were living there, and he was taking care of that. But, yeah, turning five, something needed to happen. So there, wasn't, there, there weren't many options at that time. Um, I think Mayapur Gurukul, I'm not even sure if it even existed at that time. That was 1983. Mm -hmm. Could have existed. I'm not sure. Um, but, um, looking at the options, um, my parents decided to go to New Vrindavan in America, <laughs> uh, which was <laughs> the first step to a, a giant episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, nevertheless, uh, that was like this, the, the first big milestone in my life, I would say, uh, right. that I can remember. Um, before that, my memories fade a lot, but um, the move to Nubrindavan was definitely um, a major step. And um, How old were you when you moved there? I was five years old. Okay. I was five years old, yeah. So the Gurukul was, was, uh, was um, in bloom, I would say. So I was put into Gurukul, and um, my parents quite quickly noticed that it wasn't such a conducive environment at that time. Right. Um, so there was a lot of things, a lot of difficulties um, getting into that is a whole nother topic, but right. it, there was a lot of difficulties and um, struggles for, for the kids at that time. And uh, also for the community. And basically the children were, were kept uh, sometimes in very bad conditions. And most of the qualified devotees were out on Sankirtan. Um, so yeah, those, those years were, were up and down 
I would say, definitely up and down. Um, I've developed some of my most long-lasting friendships during that time, Um, probably because bonding through Krishna consciousness, of course, but also going through struggles together and, you know, persevering together. So that was a big aspect. Um, And that went on all through until my mid-teenage years. I spent my life there in Nubrindavan up until you know, things started to like shake up a lot and uh, the right. community started falling apart, which is kind of when we, we left America. And you, yeah. and, and you went back to Europe or? At that time, um, actually, this it, is like a crucial part from, from my life also. That was the next uh, big crucial step for me uh, because during that time in, um, in America, um, we had applied for, for a green card, right, yeah. to stay. And um, my father had left back to Singapore to, to close up some business. And he wasn't aware that while the application is running, you can't leave the country, right? right? <laughs> so when he came back, he was like, okay, the government said, you have to go. You have to go. Your, your application is not valid anymore. Oh, my gosh. But our whole life had had been like put on this one card, you know. Yeah. Um. So we decided to stay. We decided mm-hmm. to stay somehow and make it work, which was um, a big choice, you know, a big big decision to make. And uh, but it kind of led also into like a, a limbo of of not really feeling, um, you know, legal in a place, in in. It was my home, but at, at still, I felt like any time I could be sent sent away. Mm. So, like when I was turning fourteen, fifteen, we had to go take care of our papers, and this is one of the main reasons why we also left America, and we went back to Germany, and that kind of ended the whole era of uh, uh, Neuvendaven and and feeling sketchy and. But it also begun a new life of trying to redefine myself because I was suddenly confronted with the whole world that I didn't know existed before. Right. You know? right. Like growing up in that bubble of Nuvrindavan, um, protected from all sides, um, the outer world, uh, you know, the outer world at that time in Iskon was not looked upon. It was mm. like non-existent. So who was who was I? Who was Hari Kirtan suddenly in this in this world? Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that Hari Kirtan didn't have a place in that world. It's quite a common that thing. Was, it's quite a co- yeah. common thing among Gurukulis or people born in the in the movement that that they're very they live a very sheltered life, and then when it comes time fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, then they ha- they they see oh my god, there's this whole other world out there. Right. Yeah, so that was like the major conflict. It was yeah. a real conflict because like in that, now looking back at it, I can, un- I can understand what happened. And also now I have children in the house that went through that age. And um, that age is so crucial for like personal identity. Right. So that was like, oh, shaken up. And the identity that I had uh, didn't exist anymore in that outer world. And you know, being put into a normal public school, 
I, I was in, in, in New Vrindavan in Nandagram school, which was amazing. I had like great teachers, Mother yeah. Ruchi and Mother Lila Sukha. They were perfect teachers, but I never went to a public school. So suddenly right. I was in the world and there was yeah. no devotees around. That was, that was 1994, shortly after Hari Kesh had um, disappeared. Mm. So, so even the devotee Yatra in Germany was very, very disturbed and, and you know, um, you know, inactive, maybe even said. Right. But that wasn't even that wasn't even an issue because I was confronted with this outer world and that devotee Hari Kirtan had no place in it. Adding to that, my experiences in Nuvrindavan of like, you know, at that time Kirtananda was being um was being prosecuted for all kinds of uh, illegal activities. So right. for me, like that, that was like this door opened and suddenly I could be a legal person with an identity. I could move around in the country without feeling, um, you know, followed or, or without having to hide. Um, I could, I could learn an education that I could, you know, that I could uh, pursue as a profession. And so all these factors kind of led me to leave, like deliberately leave the association of the devotees as a decision. Mm. I literally decided at that time I, I was feel I was having this experience, leaving behind what I had experienced and looking forward. Like this is a world where things are kind of predictable. You know, I can work, I can, I can uh, acquire a skill, I can, I can influence my life. I'm, I'm in control, right? You in like control. The, you mean like the outside world, outside of the, the devotee community? Right. Right. So this was like the experience that I had. Um, so I kind of held on to it and I lost complete sight of who I was before. Wow. And, um, um, some of uh, some of you may relate to this, you know. Uh, as a guru Kuli, some of some of us have a devotional name and a non-devotional name, right? Right, right. So that's like a, a split personality in itself already. Mm. So that that split personality kind of came out even stronger then, because I had the option to have a non-devotional name mm. and go by that name, and that identity formed. And the, the devotional Hari Kirtan kind of went all the way in the back. It didn't exist anymore. Was it was it completely that you wanted to have more control, or was it other things that led you to like, okay, I can't be a part of this anymore? There were there were a few aspects. One one is of course leaving behind all my friends and uh, everything I knew, which was quite traumatic for me at that age, but also because what I had experienced was not just positive. It was a lot of, at that time, a lot of negative emotion had been stored inside of me. So that negative emotion kind of helped me to, uh, to reject, to reject myself, to reject that part of myself and fully embrace something new, um, which later, obviously I realized it wouldn't work. Mm. But at that time, at that time, definitely, um, I deliberately made a choice to not be a devotee because my experience at that time with being a devotee was um, connected to illegal activities, um, 
hiding from police and things like that. That mm. was kind of the the you know the the surroundings that I, I grew up in. Um, not to speak of like the abuse that was going on. Right. Um, so it was like almost like something positive had happened for me uh, because all these things had stopped. Right. Right. Um, right. So I fully embraced that. I fully embraced it. But of course, um, embracing it, I also rejected the other part of me, which was very unhealthy in the long run. Mm. Yeah. So what did it, so when you, so when you made that decision, then how did that affect your like life practically? You, do you moved out of your parents' home and you just went on your own? Yeah. Eventually I, I carried on with my education. Right. I got educated as a graphic designer. I went to school for graphic design. I was living by myself. And um, I remember some of my friends, uh, Vrindavanath, you may know him. Yes. Uh, our god brother Vrindavanath and um, Nityananda and Krishna Chandra. He's now on the, on the West Coast. Mm. They, they were visiting me in Germany a few times. And I felt so awkward. It was, it was like such a, a different world for me. Um, and I remember there was a phase in my life where I actually didn't want anyone to visit me. And uh, that's really interesting. I, I was, I was hiding. Mm. I was hiding. Like Krishna didn't can't like, find me. <laughs> didn't feel like you might, they might have judged, judged you, or you were afraid of that, or you didn't like that they were still devotees, or. Yeah, it, it made me face my old identity and I had put that away and mm. it was a little bit painful. It was a little bit painful and um, to, to have to face that. There was actually a time where this, I, I guess, like undertone, I was, I was um, working through my trauma in a very slow and inactive way. Right. But that's actually what was happening. But I remember specifically that there was a time where I actually couldn't even, I couldn't even utter the Maha Mantra. That's how much trauma I had inside of me. That's how much I had shifted away from the devotees. I couldn't utter the Maha Mantra. It was, it just wouldn't come out of my mouth. Wow. Um, I was now looking back at it. It was like very shocking for me now, mm. but um, yeah, those friends tried to visit me and I, I would hide for a few years. I didn't want anyone to have my, my number or, uh, Facebook was just just coming out at that time. Mm. Um, yeah, I was hiding, and I I went fully into a standard nine to five material life. Right. As a graphic designer, working. Yeah. So, what, what was your what was your relationship with your parents at that time when you were kind of away from the devotees? My the relationship with my parents was a little bit at a distance, I must right. say, um, during that time. Um, also connecting my previous experiences with my parents kind of in a blame attitude. Right. Um, right. right. Like they, they're the ones responsible for this. Like yeah, of course. They, right. they allowed this to happen. All, all these things. There was a lot of, I think a lot of trauma stored inside of me, blame, um, you know, regret, all those things were coming up in my life. And, mm -hmm. um, and, um, 
it forced me away from from devotees for some for some time right until until actually you know krishna opened a little window you know mm. a little window of suffering <laughs> for <laughs> <Right>. myself <laughs> did they ever did your parents ever communicate to you like how they felt about your choices like okay hari kirtan is like kind of a way and and did they ever did they ever communicate anything yeah definitely i remember one incident uh, with my with my mother um I, I love my mother, just letting you all know that. Um, right. I have a good relationship with her now. But we did go through some through some difficulties, some rough patches. And I remember at that time, I must have been 1920. And uh, I was together with this German girl in a relationship. And my mother confronted me and said, how can you be with this person? Uh, I said, "Why? What's the, what's the problem? She's a meat eater. How can you be with this person? She's a meat eater. Right. And from my perspective, I, I felt like, how can she be so judgmental? This is a nice person. <laughs> right. Right. This is a nice person. How can you be so judgmental? You know? yes. You're looking, looking at everything through the, uh, through the glasses of your religion. Right. Mm. Um, of course, there was some values behind it i maybe it wasn't expressed properly but those are the kind of interactions like confrontations we would have sometimes right. and um after a few years she kind of accepted who uh, who i had become and she let off and our relationship became better and more in a friendly mood mm. it's, it's 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 really interesting i think about that a lot that you know being a parent and you know, I know you. You have two daughters, and 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 that uh, it's it's really it's it, it's you have to kind of have a be be attached but detached at the same time because they have their own lives, they have their own choices that they need to make for themselves. And and, right. and you you know you went through it, and I, I mean I think all devotee ch children sometimes go through it to a different extent. Like at some point, we have to make that choice ourselves, and your yeah. parents. My parents, and they have to deal with that. That maybe sometimes they might go astray, or they might, ha you know, go off the path a little while. But it, but ultimately, uh, you know, it's really not in your control, and that's what is scary. I mean, for me personally, it's scary. I have very sm small children, so it's it's a little bit time left for me to experience that. But that's something that you know, I give kudos to parents. It's it's a difficult task. Uh, yeah, children, and and then when they get older, they have to make their own choices, and you have to be okay with that. Yeah, right. Looking back at it now, I I feel like when you mature as a as a human being, you understand the difficult difficulties of life, right? Yes. And yeah. as a child, it's easy to blame, right? But when you mature, you understand that uh, your parents have done the best for you that they could. Right. All the best, whatever, whatever options they had, they did the best for you. And there will always be mistake. There will always be something that's not hundred percent. Right. But we will make the same mistakes as well when we're <laughs> in that position yeah, or yeah. even worse mistakes. Who knows? <laughs> right. Right. So, so t let's, so, so now you're at, you know, you, you were out living outside, you had, uh, you know, a, a non-devotee relationship and, and your parent, your relationship with your parents, a little strain. So then what happened after that? Well, I continued in my, 
in my normal materialistic life. I was quite, I was doing well in my life. I was working for a big uh, German medical company. Um, I would say I was well situated, you know, material life standard, a good car, a good house to stay in, um, all those things. Um, but year for year went by and it just continued the same thing. The same thing just continued. And there was nothing really more that was coming other than maybe, you know, the the next option would be to go for maybe a, a bigger salary or something like that. Right. But it, it wasn't really anything exciting anymore. Mm. I didn't feel intrigued. And seven, eight, nine years went by and still the same the same goals, the same, you know, the same thing. Oh, let's, which, which vacation are we going to do this year? You know, let's go right. for two weeks here or whatever. Um, it was, it became really mundane. And that, that feeling of a mundane life started to become stronger. Right. Um, so dissatisfaction was there and this wasn't satisfying. This wasn't satisfying. And then actually all it took was, a little bit of suffering, you know, Krishna gave me some suffering in, in that surrounding. He gave me some suffering and, you know, the Bhagavad Gita says we all come for different reasons. Mm. And I, I would go as far as, as to say, most of us come for, because we're suffering. Yes. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the, that's one of the main reasons to, to go look for Krishna's because you're suffering. Right. So he let me suffer a little bit. Um, I was married at that time to mm. one German girl and we had been together for I think six years plus and we got married after six years of it was a, like a struggle it was a struggle relationship it was difficult mm. and uh, you know in a materialistic environment I guess that's an achievement right to go through some some difficulties together Definitely, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah the trenches <laughs> That was that was an achievement, you know. So, oh yeah, why don't we get married? We've survived so many difficulties. Um, we got married, and five months in, I don't know, that relationship wasn't strong enough, you know. Mm. The higher goal, the higher goal, the basis was missing, and right. it all came crum crumbling down. And uh, it was it was tough for me. It was a, a good struggle for me. But at the same time, that's that's actually when um, when I started realizing that my life was not going in a direction that I actually wanted. Uh, it mm. was like a crossroad. It was a crossroad. Krishna gave we me a crossroad. When you say that it wasn't going what you want, how you wanted, was it just because of that it was kind of becoming repetitive or boring, or was there something like something else that was missing? There was definitely something else missing. And I don't know where that comes from. I, as children, we were always raised that we're meant to do. Oh, still there. Reason. So, Namras, I'm back. Okay, you're back. Great. Yeah. Okay. So we're here for a reason. And it's almost like we were grown up with the destiny. Right. Yeah, Do you, can you relate to that? I, I always felt like we grew up with a destiny. We were, oh, totally, we were meant yeah. to fulfill something. Right? Yes, yes, definitely. 
So, so that feeling of destiny, I felt was not being fulfilled. And mm. I was already 30 plus years. I was in my mid 30s. Right. And my, my whole consciousness shift, uh, shifted to looking back at my, at my life. What have I achieved? What have I done mm. with my life? And I realized that I was going in the wrong direction. Something was wrong. I wasn't, I, I didn't feel like I was fulfilling what I need to do. So there was a big need of correction. Mm. Interesting about the, the destiny part. Sometimes, I mean, and having, just having that realization that you felt like there was something else that needed to be, that it was missing or that you were destined for something else or that you were, uh, that you had to fulfill something else. That's, that's a, that's a, you know, not everyone has that realization. I've noticed. I mean, I don't know it is what other people realize, but I'm, but I'm thinking like the, for the people that have left Krishna consciousness, sometimes they're, de- you know, they can they feel that their destiny is not something spiritual or it's just something, you know, maybe something material. Or but but you had you did you feel that your destiny was something uh, that was beyond was it spiritual essentially, or was it something uh, material? No, in that moment, actually, I had a realization that it was definitely something spiritual. Wow. wow. Because in, in that suffering and what I had gone through in, in my life, I realized that everything that I was hanging on to, everything I was pursuing, was so temporary and unfulfilling. It wasn't satisfying. So if I'm meant to be happy, if I'm meant to, to do something with my life, it has to be something that is more valuable, more valuable than what I'm already doing. Mm. It has to be, it has to be a relationship that will last longer, that will always be there, and mm. not go through up and downs, and not leave me, and not change again. It has to right. be something that's eternal, All something right. that's yeah. that's substantial, and that's what I realized. Yeah. Right, and and and. It's interesting that, was it that, I mean, you had that negative experience of, of, you know, some sort of negative experience of Krishna consciousness life and, but you had this like spiritual need. So was, so there had to be some, maybe some softening of the heart to be like, okay, maybe it's what I grew up with because sometimes it, it could very well be. I do need a spiritual thing, but it's not what I grew up with. That's, that's totally not what I want. It's something else. You know what I mean? Like it's not right. Christian consciousness. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's Christianity or it's another religion. So, so what kind of led you to be, to maybe soften your heart a bit, a little bit about your past, uh, in Krishna consciousness? Well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned all of those different aspects. Like it could have been something else. It could have been yeah. this, or it could have been that. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I would say a spiritual journey can go in all of those directions, mm. even as a devotee, even as yeah. a devotee, if we're honest about it um, and we have some doubt about our faith, we look to other places. That's yeah. natural. So in that in, in that moment, when when I was in the material world, so to say, bewildered and looking for some some light. I looked at all these places. I looked at Christianity. I looked at all these things. Wow. And I looked at my past identity and I realized 
that I had lost myself somewhere on the road. Mm. I used to be I used to be someone very in tune with my spiritual identity, and I had lost that. So, and that was actually the point where I realized I have to go back to that person. I have to recultivate that person. I have to bring that person back to life, wow. the spiritual identity. And of course, at that turning point, it wasn't immediately obvious uh, for me that I would be a Krishna Bhakta. Mm. It wasn't obvious, but the desire was there. The desire to change, the desire to search for something was there. Wow. And it began in small steps. It began in small steps, you know, looking for inspiration, listening to speakers. And, and one thing led to another. One mm. thing just led to another. You know? wow. and, and until I was back at, you know, the doorstep of, you know, Krishna's devotees. And that's where I felt, actually, yes, this is where I'm meant to be. Mm. And it clicked, you know, it clicked. This is, I'm, I'm, this is where I need to go. This is, mm. you know, this is who how, I am. How did you deal with your, like, did the negative experience ever, ever come back? Like, what was the biggest obstacle for you to be, to, to like coming back and reconnecting yourself with devotees? Yes, that's definitely, that was there in the first um, initial let's say transition and it does come up once in a while there's there's let's say in iskan we do have some certain patterns and um in our community right that are not always healthy um they, they still exist and those kind of things kind of do trigger uh, trigger my memories of uh, of the past um do you mind giving an example just one example yeah i mean one example is um, child protection. Right. Um, you know, being exposed to certain things in, in the Gurukul and seeing that there are, uh, there are, you know, symptoms of, if it's not physical abuse, there's, there's a lot of mental abuse that still happens. Right, right. And, but, but like the devotees community, because we are, um, Looking at it from a spiritual perspective, we may not see the damage that's being done. Right, right. Um, so that's sometimes a little bit hard to to accept. Mm. Um, also, I've, I've been in the professional world for, for quite a long time. And being around devotees, it's very often uh, that you're surrounded by people that are not professional. And that's right. really difficult, difficult to, to, to work with people. Mm. Um, so there's a, there's, there's many instances, um, right. or, or like open-mindedness. Sometimes, sometimes I find the most close-minded people amongst devotees <laughs> yes. and I'm very shocked about it. Right. So and those, those things like being out in the world, being exposed to a lot of variety of people, I, I feel like those are things where I kind of still, still edge up upon. Yeah, um, but but I also realize that even our community, ISKCON community or devotee community, is also very young, and uh, we're all humans, and um, nothing will ever be perfect as long as there's humans involved. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, and it's it's something that every every society, every community will have to deal with. That's that's yeah. just the truth.
So, 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 okay. So we're here now that you have this spiritual need and now you are going, you know, you explored other, other, uh, faiths and things like that. And now you've come back thinking, okay, now I need to, uh, you know, essentially reconnect myself to my roots. So tell us a little bit about how that started. So after realizing that I had to reawaken that, that identity that I, that I had before as a devotee, I thought to myself, okay, if there's some truth in the teachings that were taught to us in those early years, then I can easily uh, do, a, do an experiment and have a result, mm. right? Because as a child, you're not really so aware of those kind of things. You just kind of follow along, follow the instructions. And, and of course, there's, there's um, realizations as a child even, I would say. But later in life, the logic kicks in, right? So I wanted to have a real result. I wanted okay. to do the experiment and have it a result. So I started chanting. That was the first step. I started chanting. I was like, this is the core of our teachings. Yeah. This is the core. I'm going to start chanting. I didn't tell anyone. I just started chanting. And after a little bit of chanting every day, I started to feel my life is becoming lighter. Even though there's so many difficulties, so, so much struggle, so many things to worry about, it doesn't affect me so much anymore. And that was like the first, the first aha effect. Like, oh, wow, this little bit, this little bit of effort has already, uh, you know, made my life so much better. Mm. So there's truth to it. If there's truth to it, then I can, I can give myself to it. I love, I love that part where you're saying, I didn't tell anyone and I started chanting because that was coming purely from your desire and your, yes. your kind of, uh, um, you know, your, 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 your efforts to, to, to reconnect with, with your faith and with everything like that. So, uh, I think that's really fascinating that, uh, you know, you said that it's without telling, without telling anyone, because that's, again, that's purely coming from your own, uh, your, your, your own efforts and your own desires. And I think that's so powerful. And as devotees, we really need to think about why we do things. Like, do we do things because we we're told to do them or do we do things because we want to do them ourselves? And, and we need to consider, uh, if we are doing the, the former, then we should think, how can we do it? How can I arrange my life so so I can do it how I because I want to do it and and uh, I, I mean it starts with someone telling you obviously but 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 it should yeah. it should be something that you uh, want to do yourself and that's such a powerful exp spiritual experience please and please go on yeah. uh, with the story yeah so after after having that first result um, I started coming around a little bit because I realized, okay, there's truth to this, so I need to pursue it. Wow. Um, so I went to um, Kulimela 2000, what was it, 2008 in Belgium. Oh, okay. That was my, my first, uh, let's say, re-entry mm -hmm. <laughs> into the dev devotee world, right? Wow. Um, I met up with some of my friends from Nuvendavan. They were there at that time. And so I started like reaching out again, um, developing my relationships. And that was, um, that's how it started. And um, somewhere down the line, 
um, I met my my wife, Brindavan, Brindavan Neshri, mm -hmm. and um, she was actually one of the main main supporters to encourage me to take things more seriously and to really invest invest in my spiritual life and. To this day, she's still my biggest supporter and is always pushing me and Wonderful. always pushing me on to to keep going. And what did she start like? What what did she start to do that that you felt uh, you know supported you in, in in your you know new awakening? You could say. At that time, she, we were reading books together. We were reading the books from Bhakti Chirtha Swami. Oh, okay. Um, and I must say that was a very vital part of of my journey back um, because I remembered my devotee life as, you know, reading from the scriptures and um, all these things were of course related to, to pastimes, but philosophically they were sometimes really difficult to understand uh, yeah. and maybe not even so relatable. So reading Bhaktivedanta Swami's books really helped me to see a practical everyday, um, you know, use for, for these teachings. Mm -hmm. And um, it was it was incredible because I had actually never, never heard Krishna conscious philosophy so clearly, like mm -hmm. from Bhaktivedanta Swami. Like reading his right. books made everything so easy. Like, of course, yes, it's like this. Of course, I can, I can apply it like that. Right. You know, right. It was really tangible and, um, and um, that, that made it easy for me to, to accept and to to apply, mm. that's for sure. And so and so, okay. When you um, so then you both uh, you know were reading together and uh, and you were you know meeting and things like that. So then, what was like the next step in your spiritual journey? My next step in my spiritual journey after after that, I was going to temples. Um, I started going to the programs and. Um, and actually, 2015, um, I took a journey to America again, um, to New York, to the New York Rathayatra. And uh, after that, um, I drove together with Vrindavan to Gitanagari for Bhakti Chirta Swami's 10th um, anniversary of his passing away. Mm -hmm. And um, our Guru Maharaj Radhanath Swami was there. And that was our first meeting after, I don't know, 20 something years. Wow. Uh, Did he remember you? It was interesting because, I mean, someone like Radhanath Swami, you never forget in your life, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> no matter yeah. how long you're separated from him, from him you never forget him. Yeah. So I was sitting in, in, in the temple of Magita Nagari amongst all the other uh, Prabhus, all the other men. Yes. And, and he was giving class and he was looking around and I had a feeling that he didn't know who I was, yeah. <laughs> which was really funny. Uh, but then suddenly he like jolted and he looked back at me and he recognized me. And then he had a big smile on his face and he was so uh -huh. happy. <laughs> and I mean, this is like 20 year difference. Yeah. I was a small kid when he oh. saw me last, right? Wow. How, how could he recognize me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he did. Yeah. And, 
he carried on his, with his class, and then afterwards we we talked. What did you What did you say? I mean, do you remember that that conversation? I remember the conversation. Uh, he kept repeating, "I'm so happy. I'm so happy to see you. Wow. So happy to see you." And um, and I was telling him a little bit of my life journey and how I made it to Gita Nagari and and that uh, Vrindavan had to help me come here and. Yeah, he just kept repeating. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy. He gave I, me a big hug. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, there's that picture of of Maharaj like cooking on the on the big stove at like rainbow gathering, and you're like in the background as a kid. So yeah. even as a kid, you were you had a relationship with him. Tell us a little bit of, about that. Yes. So as a child in Nuvrindavan, um, Radhanath Swami was always a very special person, and he was like for me. He was like a saint. That's how I envisioned him. I remember he always had a, a bandage around his, his foot uh, because he would dance so much that his foot would hurt. His foot was always bandaged. Yeah. <laughs> it was always bandaged. And when he led Kirtan, he would always ask me to play Murdanga, even though I wasn't really a good Murdanga player. But yeah. it didn't matter to him. He always engaged me in playing Murdanga. Right. So we had that relationship in Kirtan already. And, and at that time, rainbow gatherings were a thing. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know rainbow gatherings, I don't know if they're still happening. It's like a hippie gathering where there's, yeah. they would meet in like this natural resort and there would be no money, no phones, nothing. So yeah. uh, Radhana Swami would, would um, put up a camp there and he would cook all day. From the morning till the evening, he would cook all day for everyone. And um, one of his most famous dishes, the peanut butter halava, yeah, <laughs> was created. <laughs> it was created during that time. And um, I would help him uh, sometimes in the kitchen cooking. Wow. I mean, kitchen. It was in the forest, right? Big yeah. pots in the forest. So I would and help him at that time. And uh, right, it was just out in the woods. Right. Simple. Yeah. Amazing. Um, in giant pots. And then in the evening, there would be roaring kirtans through the night and he would dance. Mm. Yeah. And um, also we traveled uh, once together through North, uh, North uh, upstate New York. He was visiting different communities and preaching. And uh, I remember uh, being on that trip together with him. Um, and we have, I have a few, a few memories of him tossing, tossing grapes in my mouth <laughs> in the van you know, while driving you know? wow yeah so 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 then uh you know you 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 went to Gita Nagri and everything like that so then what was what have so did you did you think of Radhanath Swami like okay this is someone like did you think of taking initiation and now what was the next step in your like commitment recommitment to like Krishna consciousness yeah so after, you know, after really realizing Krishna consciousness is what I need, um, then, uh, yeah, the ISKCON world, the Krishna conscious world, let's say the Krishna conscious world is also still a big world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's so many, so many gurus, so many t uh, people to take shelter from. So I was a bit, yeah, I was still searching who is it going to be? Who is it going to be? So I was listening to a lot of lectures online, videos, you know, watching videos, lectures from all different gurus in ISKCON. 
And um, I was trying to find a connection. Like, who's my teacher? Who's my teacher? Who's my guru? And basically, after searching for so long, um, meeting Radhanath Swami again, kind of just solidified, this is my, this is my guru. This wow. is my guru. He's been with me throughout my life. You know, I felt he had never left me, even though I had left, but he had never left me. Mm. So I felt, yeah, this is the person that I can trust solely, you know, because um, having the experiences that I had, there's, there's a big trust issue. Yeah? And I oh, think yeah. my generation still has that, that major trust issue. Like, will, will you ever trust a spiritual path again or a, a person yeah. that's a teacher, you know? That's a big question. Can I trust that person? Because there's nothing worse than, um, you know, spiritual, um, how do you say, um, spiritually being neglected or, or led down a wrong path. There's no, yeah. there's no healing from that. Right, right. You know? That's the last solace you have when everything in the world tears down. If you can't count on that, on that pillar, then you're, you can be easily lost. So mm. that trust was, was a really hard decision to make. But when I met him, it was not hard at all. It was very easy. Now, when you were returning, like you had friends, you know, your childhood friends, did any of them either were like, um, you know, okay, Harikirtan's like kind of getting too much into it. Like, it's great that he's back. <laughs> it's great that he's back, but like, he's getting too much into it. Like, was anyone ever like discouraging or what was their feedback to you? Like, getting super into it, like for a Guru Kuli, like an older Guru Kuli to get back into Christian consciousness and go for initiation and like just do the whole thing 110%. That's like, it's big. It's like a big thing. Yeah. Actually, from my devotee friends, from friends that I had grown up with, I only received um, positive feedback wow. and they felt very inspired very inspired. Um, of course, those people who, who had maybe negative thoughts about what I was doing, maybe never spoke up. Maybe that can also be uh, a fact, but right. at least the, the experience I had was always positive. And um, down, down the road over the years, more and more people have actually come to me and have said, I've watched you go from that person to that yeah. person and right. it has inspired me as well to wow. take on my spiritual life so um and i i'm not saying this in an egotistical way but sure there's a a, a lot of empowerment there when when krishna is on your side and you choose to do the right thing and all all doors open all doors open wow and there's there's no stopping unless you stop yourself. And that, that's kind of the experience I had that the floodgates opened and I was embraced, you know, fully, fully back into, into the association of the devotees and um, in such a fast and fa fast way and merciful way that I could never have imagined. You know? Wow. So, so were you living in Germany still at the time? Like when you, when all this was happening? Yes, I was still in Germany. Okay. So, so then, then what happened? Did you like, 
like more in recent times, I know you live in Mayapur now. So what led, what it led you to like ultimately be like, okay, Mayapur, like, what, like tell us a little bit about that. Well, living in Germany, there's, there's of course a wonderful German Yatra there. So yeah. um, as a family, we started getting more and more involved um, in the German Yatra and also, you know, just going from temple to temple, getting to know everyone and, I really like put all my heart into into kirtan because mm-hmm. I had, I had been a musician from very very young age. Even in Duvrindavan, I was already um, producing music and writing songs and stuff like that. And while I was away, I put a lot of effort into you know like gigging on stages and traveling around doing you know playing pop songs and developing guitar skills and all these things. So. Kirtan was like the easy, the easy connection for me because it was something musical I could, I could apply myself to quite yeah. quickly. And an, a second effect that, that it had was that like singing really healed me. You know, that's how I mm-hmm. felt like chanting, chanting really healed me quickly. And um, it helped me transcend myself and, and like let go of all those inhibitions and, Beautiful. and uh, limitations that I, that I had held on to. It, it was one of the, you know, the overdrive gear was really chanting. It, it just opens up the heart and, and, and lets you go forward. Um, so that's kind of what happened. We started traveling a lot and from festival to festival just chanting <laughs> it can't be better yeah, <laughs> right right i was still i was still working a 9 to 5 job at that time yeah and at one point it just started to become a little bit difficult to combine those two things um and that was one aspect but also the second aspect was that my wife and the two children had moved uh to to my place in germany and they're not native to to the German language. So after three years of really struggling with uh, different, you know, trying all different kinds of schools, private schools, you know, Montessori kind of schools, um, we were just at our limit and the kids really needed to move forward with school. Um, So we looked at our options and uh, we really didn't want to um, take a step back uh, away from devotees, the only option was a step forward um, to bring our life closer to the devotees. And the only place that really offered that was Mayapur, because it's a full devotee community with a devotee school and everything. Like, so that was the only option. So mm. I, actually, I actually called uh, uh, Radhanath Swami on the phone and I asked him for advice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in the old days, um, I guess maybe today it's still sometimes the case, but um, you know, I kind of expected him to solve my problem. <laughs> He's like, tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, this is right. difficult. Yes. Yes. <laughs> tell me what to do. This is difficult. And uh, he's, he's very expert. Um, he basically said, do what's right for your family. <laughs> <laughs> so he put the ball back in my, in my court. Right. <laughs> Right, right. So, so yeah, I guess that was also um, a confirmation. Okay, we need to go to Mayapur. Right. So, so we moved. Yeah. Wonderful. So, so before that, uh, you took initiation. Yes. Tell us a little bit about uh, what led to that. Um, so, 
a few years in, um, I had seen Maharaj a few times and uh, we were talking um, and he was, he was expressing how happy he was that I had been around and that he was so proud of, of the service I was doing. There was nothing special that I was doing, but he's a master of encouraging people, right? Yes, yes, he's a master yes. of encouraging even the smallest, uh, you know, spark. He encourages that to grow. Um, so again, I felt I have to take things serious. I'm, I'm, I really need to move on. I, there was no time to lose. There's no time to lose, you know. Um, I was in a relationship with uh, Vrindavan. At that time, we weren't married. And I realized I have to put some format to my life. You know, I have to, like, really put format to my life if I want to, if I want to move forward. Mm -hmm. So I realized I, I need to take my spiritual life serious and I need to get initiated. Um, but to do that, I have to get married first, right? Hmm. I already, like the, all the steps came bam, 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 just like that. I need to get married so that I can take initiation. Hmm, interesting. So all, all those steps came, I, you know, take care of my family properly and then commit, commit to my guru. And um, actually, it was quite spontaneous because it's always a little bit of a mystery um, to figure out where Radhana Swami is. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So suddenly there was a message um, saying that Radhana Swami was in Italy and he would be in Prabhupadesh. Um, so I wrote him and I said, uh, Maharaj, I would like to take initiation. I would like to take shelter. And, um, and he gave his consent and we drove down, we drove down to Italy in, in like a day. And it was re really exhausting because uh, it was like a 20 hour drive or something like that. Oh my gosh. Uh, and we kind of just took it in one go. And wow. um, we arrived there. I think it was a Saturday or a Friday. I don't know. And the next day was going to be initiation. And, um, Little blip. He'll be back. I love these stories. It's so inspiring to hear. Uh, just a little thing. If anyone has any questions, please put them in the comments. We'll take them after uh, a little later in the show. Krutan Prabhu is frozen in time, telling the beautiful story of his initiation. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay, he dropped. He's going to drop. He's going to come back. He said that uh, in, in India, when his data runs out from one, I guess from one. Um, okay, he's back. Oh, sorry. Sorry about no, no. that. No problem at all. In yeah. India's internet. 
Yeah, I mean, it's great so far. But you were saying about yeah. your, uh, you, you drove 20 hours. Yeah. So I had a recommendation. I was able to, to go to the uh, Guru Disciple course before uh, traveling down there. So I had all my official papers. Um, and uh, I arrived. And the next morning, Malati uh, Prabhu came to me. And she said, when is the initiation? I said, I don't know. I don't know which time. And she said, I really have to, have to take my flight. I have to catch my flight. I have to go. But yeah. I really want to stay. I want to stay and be part of this. Yeah. And uh, so she went and talked to Radna Swami. And she managed to delay the appointment, to delay the initiation. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and she changed. She actually delayed her travel also um, just so that she could um, be part of it. And it was such an honor. Um, it was such an honor because, I mean, Malati was one of the first disciples, you know, of Srila yeah, Prabhupada. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and um, she had actually uh, met my father in New York many years before. Uh, my father was doing kirtan in Tompkins Square Park, and they had met there. Wow! And so they had they had a, a friendship, and so she really, she really felt like she needed to stay, um, right, and be part of it. Seeing me come back officially, amazing. And um, yeah, the initiation ceremony began, and uh, and Maharaj was speaking about about my completely unglorious life as as a karmi um he was speaking about it he was speaking about it he spoke about it for such a long time it was almost embarrassing <laughs> 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 and he made it an example though he used right. me as an example uh, but he managed to take my completely you know nonsense life and uh turn it into something positive. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a beautiful story. <laughs> yeah. And he was basically saying, look, this, this guy, he, he went out into the world, you know, he's seen the world. And after seeing the world, he's chosen Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And he made me go take, uh, blessings and, uh, pay obeisances to Malati Prabhu and from my parents and and um, then came the big question within my mind, you know, okay, so I used to be Hari Kirtan, then I rejected Hari Kirtan, I became uh, Mr. Kaufman, right? Mm. And after becoming Mr. Kaufman, oh, now I'm Hari Kirtan again. Now I'm at a door, initiation door. Is he going to change my name again? <laughs> 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 yeah, so the drum roll came and he really dragged it out. He said, Your name is Hari Kirtan Das. <laughs> and he really put big emphasis on Das. You know? Das, yeah. <laughs> das. That was the big emphasis. He was making it very clear to me to be a servant of. You know, to be a servant of the servant, to be a servant of Kirtan. That's how I took the, the message, you know. Right, 
Right. And, and that is when, for me, that big question of destiny kind of fell into place. Because yeah. destiny, we, we you know, our gurus give us our names for a reason. They're not just any name. Right. They're, they're for a reason. And they're meant to help us relate to, to Krishna in a certain way. So for me, that destiny fell into place when he kind of emphasized serve the holy name. And you took first and second initiation together. Yes. Yeah. He gave me first and second together. And uh, it was quite an amazing experience when, when I went up to his room and, uh, and he spoke into my right ear. It was such a magical, magical moment. Very mm. magical moment. Yeah. Uh, your parents must have been completely, I mean, like amazing roller coaster of emotions that parents go through. And now this was like the pinnacle, like I consider it the pinnacle of parenting. Krishna Khan parenting. Your child takes initiation and commits themselves to the path yeah. that, you, that you so, uh, you know, like, with so much struggle, you, 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 you raised mm. the child and you, and you gave him as much as you could possibly. And, and now he has taken this initiative. Like, what were your parents like? I mean, did you speak to them after? Like, what was their emotion? What were their emotions? They were completely over the moon. Yes. They were completely over the moon. They were in bliss. Like, this was the perfection of their life, like you said. <laughs> um, yes. And... And being a child, you know, you, you are always a child, no matter no matter how old you are. You're always a child to to your parents, right? That yeah. relationship develops a little bit, but you're always still their son, you know. Yeah. Yes. Um. So, and it was also a relief for me because I I I could see that I had made them proud. You know, I had fulfilled. I had fulfilled something that they were working towards or that they had hoped for all their life. Yeah. Um, so that, that was also one of the things that like bettered our relationship um, mm -hmm. because um, there was a debt, you know, we have debts in our life, not just material debts, but also um, spiritual debts and karmic debts. So yeah. like that, I felt like there was a spiritual debt that, that was there. And had I had paid into that bank account by taking these steps, and mm. yeah, it it evened out a lot of a lot of uh, disturbances. Yeah, in many ways. Do you do you feel like when you look back now, do you feel like a sense of regret or a sense of like wasted time? Do you, or do you think was like okay, this is a divine arrangement of what happened? I do feel that there's something valid in both, both sides. Um, for, for, for myself personally, I do feel like I've wasted a lot of my life. I have wasted a lot of that. That's the reality. I have wasted many years of my life. Um, but at the same time, there's also, let's say from, from, an aspect from the outside, like what I can offer to other people in my situation, there's a lot of advantages um, 
in the way things turned out because there's, you know, I was talking to some of my Gurukul friends um, just recently. We had, we, we started a, a Sangha, you know, a friend mm-hmm. Sangha, like from the Gurukul days, we get together and talk. Right. And we realized that this is actually an advantage. If you had experience in your life, um, there's nothing more relatable than having positive and negative uh, experiences in life and struggle when you can sh- share that experience with others. Yeah. Not everyone is coming from a, from a, you know, a pure background. Not everyone is coming from a perfect environment. Yes. Uh, a lot of people uh, go through life and, and they're, they're struggling and until they find Krishna, they've gone through a lot of things. Yeah. So this can actually be an asset to be able to relate to other, to oh. other human beings and uh, help each other, you know, help each other by, by knowing, you know, how they feel or the struggles they have. Yeah. So there's both sides. I feel regret that I didn't uh, take things more serious earlier. At the same time, I also see the advantage of being able to, you know, relate to people. Mm. What are your what are your reflections as ISKCON in, in as an institution uh, from from being outside of it for so long? Like when you go outside, you get like a different perspective of things than someone who's been in there the whole time. You know, in this kind of bubble of 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 ISKCON, you could say. So, what kind of reflections do you have from seeing it from the outside now? Now that you're back, I think. One, there's, there's a few things that, that I could say to that. One is that the devotees are actually such beautiful people and they have access to like amazing, amazing knowledge yeah. and skills, artistry, so many, so many beautiful, creative things in life. And I kind of feel like, I mean, we, we see it now, like individuals are going out into the world and like flooding the world, like Janavi and all these people, you know, um, such talented people that can present Krishna consciousness so beautifully. And I think if, if the community would be more professionally organized and relatable on the transition area to the outer world that would really cause a shift because people that are not living in devotee communities, they can't relate to devotee language, devotee behavior. It's so, so strange to them, but Krishna consciousness is not strange. It's not strange. It's beautiful. So if they can, if they can see that, see that beauty yes then and and in a professional way and i i think that's that's one thing that of course uh, many projects aim towards that and are already doing this but unfortunately in the material world professionalism is something you can't get around um mm. you know that's just that's just the fact so if we go for a professional way of presenting things and we can work with other people, you know, integrate integration. This is definitely one aspect. I, I really feel there's a lot to be done there. Integration. We're not, we, we've always thought as devotees, we're separate, right? There's a, there's this idea we're separate. Um, 
we're not separate. We're all in the same material world. <laughs> we're not separate. <laughs> if you didn't notice, we're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> we still, we all go to the bathroom. We, we all have to earn money. We all have to eat, you know? Yes, yes. Um, we're in the same, same struggles. It's the same struggles. Mm. But as devotees, we have so, so, you know, such a wonderful approach to life and to, uh, you know, to the, to the vision of life, to see mm. how life is, to see how the world actually is, that we're not this body. We're not, we're not bound to this world. Um, yeah. So if we can relate to people outside and they can understand uh, that we have something to offer. And that that's beautiful, and I think that's a way to to move forward. Now, I think that um, I think there are some experiences that uh, can that you can like to, that made you who you were today. Like even for my own personal life, like there were things I went to uh, went through that made me who I am today. And I think that's a, such a valuable thing, whether it is being away from the devotees or having struggles or whatever it is. I think that we should all, you know, we go through life and we become, uh, we become someone, uh, because of our struggles or because of what we went through. And I think that's very valuable in what you're saying. I, f I hear a lot of like humility in what you're saying, like, okay, you went through that. You went through, you went through like the ringer, you know, like in, in your life and in all things, but then you came out of it with a sense of like, okay, gratefulness. And this is what, led me to what I am now and dedicating yourself to Kirtan and things like that. And I think that's really an important uh, lesson that we can all learn from your, from your story. And I thank you for, for, uh, you know, expressing that. I have a few more questions, but let's look at the comments. There's a few questions in the comments. Um, did you also live in Malaysia for some time? Yes, I actually was in Malaysia for about a year. Okay. Tell us a little Penang bit about Penang and Kuala Lumpur. Um, Penang and Kuala Lumpur, that was like the, the end phase of Kirtananda's, um, let's say, era. Let's call okay. it like that. Um, right. So there were some temples in Malaysia and um, Penang and Kuala Lumpur. And that was after I had gone back to Germany. And uh, we sorted out our papers. And my parents still wanted, like, there was, there was no real functional devotee community at that time because the hurricane situation was happening. Right. Um, so we decided to go to Malaysia. That was a, um, you know, a known turf for us. We, we had been living in Singapore before, which is just at the tip down south of, of Malaysia. So right. we went there, lived there for a year. <clears throat> but everything was dissolving at that time. Right. All those temples were dissolving. Um, and it was quite evident that we couldn't stay. It's, it wasn't. Mm. And also there was no school for, for me and my sister. We couldn't go to school. So there was no real perspective for us. So we, mm. we left after a year in Malaysia. I, I forgot to mention you, you have siblings. Yeah. Yes. I have one sister. She's younger than me. Okay. She's four and a half young, uh, four and a half years younger than me. Okay, how's that? How's your relationship with her? And what was her? I mean, in a very short way, what was her journey like? Was it similar to yours? Um, well, her journey, I wouldn't want to speak for her, but sure. we we do have a good relationship. That's but true. I don't think she's she's very interested in being a devotee at this moment. Right. Um, 
which is okay. She's she has her own decisions to make. I completely respect that. Um, also, because she was younger, um, she wasn't really going to Gurukul in Nuvrindavan at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't have that Gurukul experience. But of course, you know, she's had also her experiences in Nuvrindavan, negative ones, but also positive ones. Um, sure. And her generation, for some reason, I can't really analyze it at this moment. From her generation, I don't see that many, that many um, people around at all. Actually, right. in my generation, is right. Yes. I think we got a little blip again. Let's look at the next question. Um, so uh, another thing, if you have a question, please put it in the comments now. I'm, I'm going to go through the questions. So so put your com- uh, question in the comments and I'll get to it. I'm just going down the line uh, here as, as Hari Kirtan Prabhu returns. A friend of mine gave me this uh, mug with my face on it. Pretty cool, huh? <clears throat> okay. Sorry, both. Hi, and we're back. Sorry okay. about that. Yeah, no we're problem back. at all. No problem. Okay. Okay. Uh, Madhurika Dasi says, "What have you done differently with your own kids to help them navigate their identity as Krishna kids in the secular world?" Okay, so there's a few things that I can definitely say to that. One thing is um, force. You know. We believe, at least I believe, that spiritual life is something we really need to discover ourselves. Right. And we can grow up in an environment that's conducive for that, for sure. Um, It gives guidance and impulse and inspiration. But there is no spiritual life without really making that decision yourself. If you don't make that decision yourself, you're not going to be really living a spiritual life because it's uh, just, how do you say, giving in to pressure around you. So that's something we were very clear about, that our children should only be practicing spiritual activities out of their own interest. Of course, we give them the opportunity, the environment, and the encouragement, but it will never be out of force. Right. And And also what we always do is we always um, make sure that we expose them to both worlds in a protected way, uh, of course. Uh, but we, we travel um, from Mayapur to Europe. Uh, we travel around. We spend time also in the secular world. Um, and I think it's important to not lose track of the world around us, especially uh, for people like us who always have dealings with, with um, people outside of the community. Mm. Uh, our, our position in life is not uh, a family that will, you know, will stay in Mayapur forever and will not have contact. We are always in contact with other people, with people outside the community. And it's important to be able to relate to them. If you can't relate to them, then they can't relate to you. There's no connection. There's no, uh, there's no, you know, it's really hard to, influence people if you can't relate to each other yeah so that's kind of our family is set up like that that uh, our spiritual activities 
are self-motivated um, through a positive environment and that we are also exposing ourselves to normal people, talking with them, dealing with them, you know, sharing, sharing with them. Um, that's important. We don't want to be, uh, you know, um, we don't want to feel separate or divided. Yeah. Right. So in, in, in essence, like uh, having a certain balance when it comes to devotional, uh, you know, raising the children in a devotional atmosphere, but also exposing them in a controlled way to the so-called, you know, the secular world. Yeah. How has this, it been? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, you know, especially teenagers in their, in their years of finding their identity, anything that's pressured will be rejected. That's, I mean, my own experience I was the same. When you put pressure on a teenager to be a certain way or to act a certain way, uh, the rejection is immediate. <laughs> yes. You can see it. <laughs> right. It's, so it's like a no-brainer to, in that phase, you know, be, have a good relationship with your children. Have a good relationship. Be a, be a friend. Show some understanding. Krishna, yeah. Krishna is, you know, chanting and Krishna is so strong. When you've, when you've once been exposed to it, um, you won't forget it. You, you will never forget it. And that's something I've learned to have confidence in. You know, through, through my own experience, through my own life, I've grown confidence that Krishna is strong enough. Yeah, he will persist, you know. Yes. yes. If it's not this lifetime, it'll be another lifetime. But he will. He will win. You know. He's always yeah. going to win. <laughs> Beautiful comment. I mean, I'm sure Mayapur. Like, how has it been with them in Mayapur? I mean, you're for your children. Like, that must. That must be like. That's a real immersion in a spiritual community. Yes, completely. That brings challenges with it too, of course. Interesting. Um, because you know dynamics of a of a community, uh, especially within India, India has its own set of uh, you know rules and culture and <laughs> and superstitions and all these things. Yes. And um, growing up as a devotee outside of India, you don't really have to face those things. You're not aware of them at all. You know yeah. you have your your culture of your Western Western um, countries, but in India these things all kind of just flow in to your everyday devotee life. And sometimes it's a little bit difficult to like pull them apart, pull them apart. What is yet's really our Krishna conscious lifestyle and what is, uh, you know, influence from the surrounding. It's not always easy. Um, especially there's a lot of judgment going on in India. There's a lot of criticism, um, um, for individuality, individuality is a is something that's somehow not well looked upon in mm. India. Mm. Um, and when you're coming from the West, it's quite opposite. You know, uh, your individual identity is quite important. So there's a little bit of a clash there. Right, um, right. So there's a little bit of a struggle. But other than that. Um, it's wonderful to live in Mayapur. It's incredible. There, I mean, every everything in the shops, the produce, everything is, you know, made by devotees, grown by devotees. Cheese, bread. It, it doesn't get better. It's like it's it's the heaven for every devotee. <laughs> right. Wonderful. All right. Let's take a question, Mukunda Russell. Do you have any advice on what factors can help a devotee child interested and invested in their growth in bhakti? I mean, you mentioned a few things, but. Any more advice? 
my advice would be to always have a good friendly relationship and encouraging positive relationship. And I can see that I take an example from my own Guru Maharaj. Throughout my life, whatever nonsense I've done, he's never judged me. He's never judged me. He's always been there, always giving the positive impulse, giving the positive support, the encouragement. And he's always made me feel loved and welcome. And I think that is one of the core principles to really developing spiritual uh, inspiration and spark and commitment to never feel judged, to always feel loved. And that's what, that's what bhakti is about, right? Bhakti yeah. is about love and relationship. So if you can already experience that in a one-to-one, you know, one-on-one uh, environment, then it becomes logical that you can develop that for Krishna. Right. I mean, I think this ties into his next question. We all probably know devotees who have fallen away in some form of another. Can you share your thoughts on what best practices can be applied to bring them back in or maintain a loving relationship with them? I'm sure something like no judgment, but please take that question. Yes. Um, judgment is always a big problem. And I think in our community, it's very easy to judge and to criticize and to divide. Um, Unfortunately, it's like that. I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's like to blame, that the devotees are to blame. It's just human nature. Human nature is like that. We mm-hmm. find all, all kinds of reasons to, it's part of the ego, right? It's part of, I am this, you are that. So the more we advance in, in our spiritual life, the less we will have that boundary um, to judge people. So always having a welcoming approach to others um, and always reaching out to others. How are you doing? You know, Mm. this is bhakti is about relationship, relationship to others. And uh, Mm. we really need to put effort into relationship. That's, that's the the beginning of the practice. Uh, You know, uh, someone told me a story of Srila Prabhupada. One of his servants had, had fallen away and even started eating meat and, and, and Prabhupada was, had come to that, uh, city that 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 devotee was at and uh he Prabhupada said where is that so and so and they said oh Prabhupada he left and he's you know he's non you know non-devotee eating meat now and everything and Prabhupada said call him and tell him to come I want to see him you know he's very dear to me I want to see him and then that person did eventually come back to pr- see Prabhupada at that time and Prabhupada said uh will you cook for me I love the way you cook for me and the, and, Prabhupada, and the devotees were like, Prabhupada, he's a meat eater now. He, he's like, uh, you know, contaminated and stuff. And then he said, be quiet. You know, he, I want him to cook for me. And he was with tears in his eyes. He brought that devotee back and, and accepted him again. Like how, how amazingly open-minded, how broad-minded, how merciful Srila Prabhupada is. I feel like as devotees, we miss that sometimes. We can be, like you said, you know, we can, you know, there's there, there's some judgment that's there that devotees can be extremely judgmental, even more than non-devotees sometimes. So we should see the example of, of our founder, Acharya, that, you know, how how much, I mean, even Bhaktisanta Saraswati talk where there's a story of like, the, I think it was, uh, I forget who it was, but he was, uh, he had some, one devotee had left and, and Bhaktisiddhanta came 
for a um, temple opening. He said, where's that so-and-so devotee? And they said, oh, he left uh, because so, so, so he had fallen down or something. And Bhakti Sananda said, I'm not going to open this temple unless you bring him back. We take you know buckets and buckets of blood and and, and sweat to, to, to get someone to come to our our society and then we when when they leave we just like you know like okay bye see you see you later no no that's not you know it's a great example of of uh how we should really be non-judgmental thank you for that let's take another question here um how do you deal with friends and associates who are against iskon due to their past experiences yeah that's a difficult that's a difficult question um I guess because of uh, how loud we have been about our lifestyle change, it hasn't really uh, come to the situation so often that I've been confronted with people who are against ISKCON. Right. right. Um, that may be an advantage of, uh, you know, being quite straight up um, about about what you want in life and where you're going because all, all people that don't harmonize with that will stay away. Mm. Um, I haven't been verbally attacked yet in any way. Um, so that's a positive. Um, but how to deal with people that are against ISKCON? Again, I mean, we can only say to not be judgmental so many people have suffering in their life for some reason they've they're in that situation at yeah. the moment in their life and we can only have some kind of understanding for their suffering and and why they have that point of view or that perspective and uh, some some of those points are are even valid i mean i wouldn't uh, you know take away their their value. Some of those points are valid. Why this person is feeling like that, mm. you know. There's, it's not always, not everything, always goes perfect. There's also some damage done along the way. Um, but behind that suffering person, there's always, you know, an individual devotee that is struggling to find their connection with Krishna. And it might not be Iskon. It might be in a different way. Right. I remember in a lecture from our Guru Maharaj, uh, him saying that we should always be strict with ourselves and show compassion to others. Yes. And I think that's such a simple rule that we can always follow. And it helps in this situation also, even for those who are inimical to ISKCON. Um, we always see ISKCON as the, the, the only the only solution, but uh, Krishna has many representatives, mm. many representatives, and Krishna has many ways to attract people to him. And for that person, it may not be ISKCON. It might be some other way. Yeah. And that person's journey may be quicker or maybe longer. Uh, we don't know. It's mm. not, not for us to decide that. Right. All right, we have another question here from Destiny Marie Riley. What advice would you have for someone new to Krishna consciousness? Now, this is a very broad question, but in short, what would you say? I would say don't hold back 
look for someone that you can confide in and can share, can share your experiences with. Um, this is something very, very important. Um, Krishna consciousness is a spiritual path. And in every spiritual path, as an individual, you will have ups and downs. There will be days where you will doubt everything that you're practicing. There will be days where you are, are immersed in ecstasy hmm. and gratitude for what you have found. Right. But it is important to be able to share that with someone. Otherwise, the riding the tide may cause you to leave in a weak moment because it's not always easy. Yeah. No matter how long you're practicing Krishna consciousness, there will always be some major challenge coming your way. Yeah. And... The only way to survive it is to have the right people around you that you can talk to. Sure. So um, that that is... So my advice is to have good relationships and practice Krishna consciousness and share, share your experience with those people. Right. I had another question at the end, but I, I think it's a good time to ask it now. What would you say to someone who's, who's a devotee, but who's feeling deeply disconnected or they don't resonate with it anymore or they don't relate with it anymore? Still there, Prabhu? Can you hear me? Looks like we lost audio, maybe. Can you hear me? Um, I think there's a big delay. Um, right okay. now there's a few seconds delay, but I have received your question, okay. Namras. Yes. What do you do with someone who is already a devotee or what advice do you have who's already a devotee but doesn't relate to it anymore? Yes. Actually, yeah, I'm here. I can hear you. I can hear you. There's just a big delay. Okay, go ahead. I'm here, Namras. I'm still here, so I think there's just a major delay. <laughs> yeah, there's a delay. I can hear you. <laughs> Perhaps I'll keep you know, I'll, I'll reconnect you. Okay. You know, I'll remove you and I'll, okay. Reconnect. So I'm just going to continue. I guess that there's a delay that you're just going to have to deal with. Okay. Okay. So, um, advice for someone who's a devotee. Well, I personally just recently, uh, the year 2020, um, went through some experiences that, I had shared um, on social media also, but I'll share here again. Um, you know, after chanting and practicing, practicing um, Krishna consciousness 
for for many years, there's still many, many obstacles to overcome and many hurdles to Okay, we're going to reconnect. How are you, Kirtan? Hi, Bol Namras. Hi, Bol. Okay, so we're okay. back. There we're was back. some internet yes. issue. Go, you were going to tell a story. Okay, it's less of a delay, less of a delay now. Yes. Yeah. So, um, early 2020, it was during Lord Nichananda's appearance day. We took a trip to Ekachakra. There was a, a Kirtan festival there. And um, I was quite burnt out from the last year of traveling. 2019 was really rough for me. And I had reached my personal mental and physical limits traveling. So this was like one of the first Kirtan events after that. And uh, Vishrambar was there along with a few other friends. And at this festival, um, like Lord Nichinanda was really, really putting me through some tests because all these years I had put all my, you know, all my game on one card. And that was chanting. That one card was chanting. You know, that's my only... Saving grace is chanting. Right. All my all my gold is on that card. And during that festival, somehow a veil was removed. And suddenly I felt like I had lost all inspiration, all interest in Kirtan. All taste. Hey. I'd lost taste in Kirtan. I lost taste in chanting. And wow. it was it was really, really, really frightening because, you know, that's the, that's my only pillar. That's my, the only thing I can hold on to. Yeah. And if, and if I lose that, uh, like, where am I going to be? And um, I went through a, a struggle, a real struggle of really questioning my intention of chanting. Like you were saying earlier, you have to make a decision. Right. You have to. Yeah. So for me, like that showed me that those decisions have to be made over and over again in your spiritual life. It's not made once. It's not like you're safe after you decided to become a devotee. No, like throughout your 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 development, your progress or your struggles as a devotee, you will have to face that decision over and over again. Like, why yeah. am I chanting? Is it really selfless is it is it to please krishna or am i chanting to get to get attention or am i chanting to get fame or yeah. or all these things and suddenly i felt like i had been chanting all this time for my personal ego i had been chanting just to fulfill the desire of adoration and 
acknowledgement. And uh, with those, through, through that view, uh, everything was distorted. I, I found no pleasure, no joy in chanting anymore. It became actually the opposite. It became something I didn't want to be around anymore because that ego, that sense of ego was so prominent that I was seeing it in everyone and everything. Wow. It was ruining my experience of, of kirtan and I had to leave. I had to leave the kirtan. But it was really, really churning my heart because, because for all, the, all these years, I had been practicing as much as possible, putting all my effort, all my time into chanting. And I felt lost and forsaken. I, I felt like Krishna had forgotten me, you know, mm. or Krishna had cheated me. I actually felt like that. Krishna was cheating me. I have invested so much. I've invested so much in you. <laughs> and the result is that I feel worse than before. <laughs> right. Of course, in relation to eternity, in relation to everything, I had invested nothing, right? But my ego was hurt. I felt like I was deserving some reciprocation, deserving some reward for what I was doing. It's yeah. obviously the ego calling out. Um, so luckily, I was able to take some, some personal advice uh, from a few of my friends and um, I took shelter of Sachinanan Swami and I called him and he, we had a long talk together and he gave me some very good advice um, because I think these kind of situations, if we're honest uh, about our spiritual life and we're not going out, going throughout our spiritual life with a, a facade, real spiritual life has struggles. There will always be struggles. There will always be difficulties. Right. And Sachinanan Swami is actually one of the one of the the people I really feel um, preaches to us in that way and shows us you've been chanting for ten years or more. <laughs> you need to go to the next step. Yes. You know. So he gave me very good advice. He said. You need to be alone and discover your personal relationship with Krishna. Namras, you still there? I'm still here, yeah. You still there, Namras? Okay. Yep. It froze for a second. So he said, you need to... You need to be alone and you need to discover your personal relationship with Krishna. And you need to take the time away from everyone. He was saying, go to the Ganga, sit there alone and chant. Chant out your heart. Sing to Krishna. Tell him your, your frustration, your anger. Show him your emotion. Tell him how you're feeling and rediscover that personal relationship. Because I, I had lost it because I was so absorbed in the outer world that the actual reason for chanting was lost, you know? Wow. So he really helped me. He really helped me with that. And that's kind of something that automatically happened in the year 2020. That might have been a year for everyone where everyone had to reevaluate what does it mean for me to be a devotee? 
Right. You know, I can't be around other people anymore. I'm alone. I can't go to festivals anymore. But what does it mean for me to be a devotee? It's actually a blessing, a year of blessing to really, you know, make that decision again and find that reason why. Why? Why am I chanting? Why am I looking for Krishna? Why is Krishna? Why is Krishna my Lord? Wonderful. Wonderful and, realization. Yeah, that's something I can only say to a practicing devotee is when when you lose that connection, you need to take the time. You really need to take the time to find that personal connection. It's a personal thing. It's a personal relationship. The, the association of the devotees helps us, but we have to be connected. We have mm. to have that relationship. Otherwise, we are only acting upon social norms. If we're not acting upon that personal relationship, it will be fake. It will, will not have substance. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, uh, Hare Krishna Prabhu. That's, uh, we're an hour and 40 minutes. This was a fascinating, fascinating interview. I really appreciate your hearing your story. And although I know I knew of you and I met you a, a few times, I didn't know this, this certain depth uh, that you had in your life and the struggles you went through and just share you, you sharing that, uh, it just makes me appreciate you a lot more. And I'm very grateful that, uh, you know, to have a friend like you and to know you. And I think the ISKCON community can, um, actually get a lot from hearing uh, a story like yours and devotees can really gain some insight. They can get some, uh, you know, relief. And if they're having some struggle to hear someone's story like yours and, uh, please continue to share your story. And, um, if you'd like to get in touch with Hari Kirtan Prabhu, he is on Instagram as at Hari Kirtan Das. He's also on Facebook, uh, and you can get him there as well. Um, he's always traveling, always sharing kirtan. Uh, he, 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 he does a lot of, um, you know, store, uh, wonderful Instagram stories from Mayapur. You can also follow him there mm -hmm. on Instagram. So that's really, really wonderful. Thank you so much, Hari Kirtan Prabhu, for joining me. Thank you for the opportunity for being here and allowing us to share with each other. Yes, yes, no problem. So um, if, if you'd like to, um, if you like these interviews, uh, go to my uh, fundraiser. I put the comment, uh, I put the comment in the, I mean, the link in the comments here. Uh, you can give a little bit of a donation for this to continue for 2021. And uh, that's it. That's, uh, that's uh, episode 42 with Hari Kirtan Prabhu. Thank you, everyone. Hari Kirtan Prabhu, you could stay on a little bit longer. I'm just going to turn Thank off you. the live. Bye, everyone. Okay.